Well, hey friends, welcome again to Vineyard Altoona. My name is Derek. I want to welcome you to uh, to our gathering. And if you're new, I want to especially welcome you. I really appreciate you taking the time to check out Vineyard Altoona. I hope this is beneficial to you, and I hope to meet you sometime soon. Uh, before we get going today, I want to make just two quick announcements. Uh, the first one I mentioned last week, December 6th from 1 to 2.30, that's a Sunday, right after church, uh, 1 to 2.30, we're going to do a church-wide Zoom trivia. So you're going to hear more uh, uh, information in the coming weeks, but go ahead and put that on your calendar, December 6th from 1 to 2.30. Uh, the churchwide Zoom trivia. The second announcement, I've talked about faith walking uh, a lot. And uh, there's an upcoming uh, Faith Walking 101 retreat. Faith walking, for those of you who don't know, is is a, a deep dive into your emotional formations. Uh, Pete Scazzaro says you can't be more spiritually healthy than you are emotionally healthy. Uh, and so this is a, a, a faith-based, a, a Christian dive deep into uh, your first formations and the things that make you who you are today. Uh, and so I think it'd be really beneficial. Listen, get yourself something for Christmas this year and do Faith Walking 101. Listen, it's a gift that you'll get for yourself that'll benefit everybody around you. It's been transformative for me. Uh, December 4th and 5th is the uh, the Faith Walking 101 retreat. It's online. Uh, it's a Friday and Saturday. Listen, if you work on Fridays, that's okay. It doesn't start till 6.30 in the evening. So they've tried to, to make it in such a way that those who have uh, day jobs will still be able to participate. So it's 6.30, beginning on Friday night, ends at 9, and then it begins again Saturday at 9. Uh, you can register for that on our website, vineyardaltuna.org, uh, under the tab Get Connected, then click Register for Events, and there's a box there that says Faith Walking 101 Intensive. Uh, listen, that's if you're going to only choose one discipleship class or anything to ever do, this would be the thing I would encourage you to do. It's that powerful. It's that, and it will transform the way that you do the rest of your Christianity. So with that, I want to uh, go ahead and get started. And I want to start by asking you this question. How did you learn to drive? Like when you think about the way that you learned to drive, how did you learn? Did you take a driver's ed class? You know, maybe you had uh, a course where they had like some home study and some classroom stuff. And then you got in a car with somebody who had one of those nice little brakes on the passenger side. Uh, and you drove around, you learned how to drive. And then, uh, or, or maybe it wasn't a driver's ed class. Maybe it was a mom or a dad or an uncle or an aunt who taught you how to drive. And they took you to a parking lot and they drove around and you watched. And then you got in the car and you drove around. And they took you into a neighborhood, and over time, you learned to drive. And while you were learning, you know, you were watching other people drive and learning by their example uh, how to do it. And eventually, you ended up with a driver's license, and you could drive. And the way that you learned to drive was from uh, some intense direct study and learning. There was some observation of other people, and then just practice, right? And driving is one of the kind of the basic foundational things, you know, as you uh, grow up to be an adult, it's a basic foundational thing. So with that, I want to ask you this question. How did you learn to pray? When you learned to pray, how did you learn to pray? I mean, this is a basic foundational Christian thing. Prayer is so critical. How did you learn to pray? 
You know, I think maybe if you were lucky, you had a mom or a dad who taught you how to pray, or maybe you had a really good Sunday school teacher, or you read a book, or maybe you were reading some of the prayers in the New Testament and in Scripture, and you said, well, I'll just do what they did. What I would say is probably, as a pastor, one of the things I've discovered is that most people have never been taught how to pray. That the vast majority of people learned how to pray by watching everyone else and just doing what they saw. And I think if you ask people, it's it's something that most people have just never really learned in a very in, intense or, or on-purpose way how to pray. You know, uh, today we're going to look at how Jesus teaches us to pray. We began this series called Get God a couple of weeks ago. It's a very brief three-week series out of Matthew chapter 6. And we've been looking at Jesus and his teaching around the motivations for doing acts of righteousness. So prayer and uh, giving and fasting. And, and Jesus teaches about how we are to do those things and our motivations. In week one, I uh, talked about how God rewards people who do acts of righteousness with no other motivation than for him. And he himself is our great reward, that God gives himself as a reward for those who do acts of righteousness only for his pleasure. The second week, last week, we talked about giving to the poor. And uh, what we said was that we who follow Jesus are to be uniquely open-handed toward the poor. And we're supposed to be very generous toward the poor. And our generosity is to be motivated by the desire to have more of God. That we give to get God. And I said that our, our model for, for being generous towards those who are less fortunate and who are poor and who, who are needy is our Savior Jesus. That having all power, all privilege, all glory in heaven, he gave it all away so that he could have us. That we became the great recipients of Jesus' generosity. That that's our model, is our Savior Jesus. And today we're going to finish this series looking at Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and we're going to begin in verse 5 where Jesus is teaching about prayer. About how to pray. And today what we're going to discover is that Jesus teaches us to pray to get God. That we pray to get God. The title of this message is, how to pray. Would you pray with me as we, uh, we just ask God to, to speak to us when we open his word? So would you pray with me? So Lord, I do invite you into this time and into this space. God, I pray that you would put power on your words. God, that as we read your word, it would come alive. It would jump off the page and capture our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would enable me to speak as I should and that you would put power on this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at verse 5, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and here's what we read. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. You know, I don't know about you, uh, but I haven't met too many people who would say they're good at praying, who would say they pray well. I think when you ask most people, they, they come with a lot of guilt and shame, and maybe that's your story. That when we talk about prayer, what we find is, well, I really should pray more. I should pray better. That there's a lot of misunderstanding and lack of understanding when it comes to prayer. You know, uh, my, most people, myself included, would say we wrestle with what it is to pray well. And at the same time, people who believe in any God at all universally pray that prayer is, a li- is part of a life of faith anywhere. And so we have this this universality of prayer, but universally, people don't really feel all that good at it. You know, I remember this story from a month after I gave my life to Jesus. I was so passionate about Jesus. I was passionate about worship. And there was like nothing I wouldn't do uh, if people said it was serving Jesus. Like I just, I was going to do anything. And so the campus ministry that I was connected to, uh, they were going on a mission trip to Oklahoma to to help with kids that had been orphaned or who were in the system. Uh, and, and so we went to Oklahoma and I was super excited. You know, so we get to this place uh, where we're going to serve and, and I'm just, I'm just jacked up. I'm jumping and I'm super excited, right? Uh, and, and I thought I was doing something significant. Well, a few days into the trip, the campus minister came to me and he said, Derek, why don't you pray for the group today? And all of a sudden, I wasn't excited. I was terrified. I mean, I had never prayed. I mean, in my short life, after I surrendered my life to Jesus, it was a month later, I had never prayed out loud. I had never prayed in front of a group. I didn't really know what to do. I was terrified. And I wanted everybody to think that I could pray well. And so I found myself just thinking like, okay, all the prayers that I've heard people pray, they're, you know, they pray this way, they say these phrases, the, their volume goes up, they talk fast. And so as I began to pray, I did all of these things. I used the magical phrases that I felt like were so powerful when I heard people say them. I talked loud and I talked fast and just because I really wanted people to think that I had a depth of relationship with God that I didn't have. And so that's how I prayed, and I didn't have any idea what I was doing. And you know what I've discovered is that so many people were just like me. They, they emulate what they've seen when it comes to prayer. They've seen people say these words. They've seen people make these gestures. And so they pray the same way that they've seen because nobody has taught them. So many of us struggle to know how to pray well. And over my time of following Jesus, I've grown in prayer for sure. I better understand prayer, but I still wouldn't say I completely get it. You know, it's something that I constantly find myself learning something new about. And I guess the point that I want to make here is that we all have something to learn, no matter where you are in following Jesus, we all have something to learn from the teachings of Jesus about prayer. In this passage, Jesus is confronting two 
errors in how we pray, that there's two pitfalls we can make on the path of prayer. And the first one that Jesus points out is pride, that we can use prayer to really turn attention and glorify ourselves. Look at verse 5. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, you know, in first century Jewish faith, much like uh, Islam now, uh, first century Jewish faith was revolving around prayer times, that you would have a prayer time in the morning and in midday and at night. And so you build all of life around these times of prayer. And so this actually is a really good way to draw awareness of God, to, to live in constant awareness of God. It's a really good rhythm. And if you're looking for a rhythm, why not set an alarm at morning, midday, and in the evening to pray? Not for necessarily long, but it's a great rhythm. It's a helpful way to have a vibrant life with God. But in the midst of these rhythms, people would, would use these times for their own glory. And so they know there's going to be a group of people gathered. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to pray in such a way that people's attention will be drawn to me. That I'm going to use loud voice and big gestures so that people would ascribe to them holiness that they didn't have. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He calls this practice out as pride. He says the only reason that they're praying this way is so that people will recognize them, that they will ascribe praise and accolade to them. He says they re receive the reward thereafter. This is prayer for the sake of self-aggrandizement. It's prayer for self-elevation. It's prayer for my own ego. It's not prayer for God. And this is always a potential pitfall when you pray with other people. Listen, I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray with other people. What I'm saying is, this is always a temptation. It's what happened when I prayed in that, on that mission trip. That there's a temptation when you're in a group of people, to instead of praying with all eyes only on God, that you begin to wonder how the people around you see you and that you want them to, to think that you're holier than you are and that you have a deeper faith than you do. It's always a temptation and people do it all the time. I remember there was this, uh, this time it stuck out to me uh, down in the train station. We were handing out free coffee and there was this guy who came and in the course of conversation, it became apparent that the thing for us to do was just to pray for all the things he was facing in his life. And so me and this other guy, we laid hands on this, on him and we began to pray that God would meet him in the struggles and meet him in the challenges and that God would provide for him. And as we wrapped up our prayer, all of a sudden this guy started making noises and they're noises that you might associate with praying in tongues. And, and he was just being very loud and very and for a long time. And as he wrapped it up, he goes, that's how we do. That's how I pray. And he looked at me like he wanted me to affirm him as holy and righteous because of how he prayed. Listen, I'm not here to, to judge his heart. But the temptation always comes when we pray in a group to compare those compare ourselves to those around us. And I don't know about you, but my twisted heart always seeks 
to be elevated, right? We always want people to think the best of us. We want people to think that we're holier than we are. We want people to think that we're the most righteous, that we're the best and we're the first, and that we're more spiritual than everyone else. It's always a temptation when you're praying with other people. And don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray with other people. I'm just saying that with it always comes this temptation to comparison. There's always a temptation to feed pride in prayer when you're praying with other people. But Jesus gives us a direction in verse 6 on how to confront this. Verse 6, he says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Listen, if you want to avoid using prayer to serve your own pride, Jesus says you have to have a prayer life that is hidden, that you have to develop a secret life with God that nobody knows about. Let me tell you a story uh, really just to illustrate this. Uh, We moved to Altoona from Columbus, Ohio, and we lived in Ohio. We owned this house and our next door neighbor's when we first moved in, they had this neat little thing. It was a, a, a setup of plants in their backyard, and it was beautiful. There's lots of flowers and shrubs, and right in the middle were these two stalks of bamboo. And I just looked at it when we moved in. It was, it was beautiful. It, I, was, I was very impressed at their ability to cultivate their backyard. Um, well, by year two, all of a sudden, the bamboo was taking over. And by year three, it took up a quarter of their backyard and some of mine. And I, of course, was fighting it. I didn't want bamboo in my backyard. So every time the stalks would come up, I'd mow them over. And I had like weed killer that I was trying to fight this bamboo with. And I really was very unsuccessful. I really couldn't beat it. And uh, I fought that plant until we moved out of that house and moved here. Uh, But the reason that bamboo becomes so uh, invasive and and so resistant to killing is because of how it grows. Bamboo grows out under the soil first. If If you understand how bamboo grows, it creates this massive root structure. And then out of the top pops these little shoots. And at first you just go, oh, it's just, man, that bamboo plant is so little, but it's not true. The bamboo plant is actually really big underground and all you see are these little shoots. And in no time, a bamboo plant will take over, but it takes over because it's spent all this time developing a structure that's unseen. In the same way, a Christian, to have a life that is unshakable, if you want to have a life that's rock solid in public, a life that's resistant to comparison uh, in prayer with others, the way this happens is that you develop a secret life with God, that your root structure is developed under the surface in places that nobody can see it. That's the only way it happens. Listen, I know all of us who follow Jesus, we want to make an impact. Don't you want to pray and see things happen? You want to make a kingdom impact? You want to speak words that give life to people? You want to speak words of power in situations that call for it? The only way this happens is that you develop a secret life with God. That's the only way it happens. Listen, if you try to do all of those things without developing a secret underground life with God, God will allow you to do those things. But then you topple. We see it all over the place. 
that people who can do, you can pray for healing. God will heal people just because you pray. That will happen, whether you have a deep life or not. But it's only through having a deep underground life that you can protect yourself against comparison and, and, and all these things that topple a spiritual life. Listen, it only comes when you pray to get God. That's the only way you can do that. You pray to get God. Is that your great reward? Do you have this secret life with God where you waste time with Jesus? Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, spent three hours a day in prayer. And some people would say, well, God used Martin Luther to change the world because he spent three hours in prayer every day. But Martin Luther would say, I spent three hours in prayer every day because God used me to change the world. You have to have a secret life with God. The first error is to pray for pride. The second error that Jesus confronts is idolatry. Jesus says you can make a mistake of praying to God as if he's just one of many pagan gods. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. The reference that Jesus is making to pagans is people who worship gods and pray to gods in hopes that they can wrestle something from them. Uh, you know, uh, pagans believed that there were gods over things. So there would be a god over farming and a god over fertility and a god over the sun and a god over the rain. And these were all things that you need to survive. And they would, these gods were not necessarily good. They didn't necessarily care for humans. And so the way that you would approach a god like this is to twist this god's arm uh, behind his back to offer enough sacrifice, to say the right words, to say incantations that would force the God to act on your behalf. In, a, in essence, it's wrestling good out of a God that's not necessarily good. That this is what, so pagan prayer would look like adding magical phrase on top of magical phrase on top of magical phrase. That if I say just the right words, this God will have to give me rain this year. If I, if I offer just the right sacrifice and I say just the right thing, this God will have to give rain this year. That this is how the pagans prayed. That we're wrestling uh, these gods for, for goodness that they had that we needed. Listen, you may be thinking, well, I don't understand, Derek. I don't really see this in Christianity. Don't you know that we, do, we don't believe in all these gods? We don't do that. But if you understand this, or if you believe this way, it's probably because you've never evaluated the phrases that people say when they pray. Maybe you have never evaluated the phrases you say. Are all the things that you say when you pray well thought out? Are they, are they things that you intend to say to God? Let me give you a couple of examples. So like We do this in the church all the time, right? Uh, we add phrases like, we'll be sure to give you all the glory. Have you ever heard somebody pray that? Or maybe you've prayed that. We'll be sure to give you all the glory. And here's what we're saying when we say that. God, I've just asked for something so selfish, something that might make me look amazing and might really puff up my status. But lest you call me on that, I'm going to just say right now, I'll be sure to give you all the glory if you give me this thing I really want. It's just a magical phrase. 
Or, or how about this one? We add this, this phrase, we say this, you know, we're going to believe you now, God, for this thing we're asking for. Have you heard that? Have you heard this sort of like a, it comes sort of from prosperity teaching. We're going to believe you now for this thing that we really, really want. And what we're saying is, God, you say that if we ask in faith, that you'll give us whatever we ask for. So we really want this car and we're going to believe right now. See, God, I'm telling you that I'm giving my faith into this. So I'm going to believe you now for this car that I'm asking for. All it is, is a magical phrase. It's sort of twisting God's arm behind his back and saying, you did say, ask in faith. And so I'm throwing the phrase, we're going to believe you now. There's faith, right? It's a magical incantation. Or how about this one? You know, the, the one that I threw uh, in my mission trip when I prayed is we add this phrase, in Jesus' name, because of course we know that's the secret sauce that makes the prayer work, right? That if you don't say in Jesus' name, God's just not going to hear it. And so we add this phrase. Have you ever thought about what that means? Or do you just add it because you know that if you don't say it at the end of your prayer, well, so much, you just wasted your time. Do you see these things in your prayer? Have you seen them? Maybe you have your own. Maybe there are some of your own phrases that you say, not because they're well thought out, not because it's what you intend uh, to communicate to God, but it's sort of like the little extra thing that you're offering God so that he'll answer the way you want. Do you see these things? They're all over the place. I've, I see them all over the place. And Jesus says they're wrong because what they reveal in us is idolatry. It reveals that we don't understand the God that we're praying to, that he's not one of the pagan gods. Look at verse eight. Jesus says, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus says that we need to understand that we're not praying to some far off God who, who won't give us what we want unless we say exactly the right word. We're not praying to some God who's going to treat us badly if we don't offer the right phrases. We're praying to our true father who loves us. That he's a father who loves us and we're praying to this father who welcomes us with open arms that we can come in confidence knowing that he wants to relate to us. That he wants to treat you well. Jesus also says that our Father already knows what we need before we ask. We don't have to talk him into giving us what we need. We don't have to say pretty please with sugar on top in order to get God to give us the things that we need. Jesus says that our Father is already prepared to give us what we need. That he already knows. So what's the purpose of prayer then? Why would we pray when God's already going to give us what we need? Listen, the purpose of prayer is to get God. That we pray to get him. We pray to get intimacy with our father. We pray to get connected to our father. It doesn't mean we don't ask for what we need. We pray to align our wills to God's will. We pray to align our purpose to God's purpose. And in the midst of this, we ask our true father for things he's already prepared to give us. Martin Luther, father of the Protestant Reformation, I said that already, but uh, just in case you forgot, he said this, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, it's laying hold of God's willingness. Friend, let me just ask you, do you know your father this way? 
When you think about your prayer life with God, do you believe that you're praying to your Father who loves you, who wants relationship with you, who is already prepared to give you what you need? Do you know that? Friend, if you don't know that, can I invite you today to pray to get God? You know, God wants a relationship with you more than you want one with him. You know, God knew what you needed at root was to be rescued. And so he proactively sent his son, Jesus, to die on your behalf to make a way for you to be related to your loving father. In uh, Revelation, uh, Jesus says this. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Friend, Jesus is waiting for you to open your heart to him. Will you do it? Will you pray to get God? If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, you can talk to the host of your home or you can reach out to us. and We would love to help you uh, walk through that. But you can pray to get God. He's waiting for you to open the door.